we thought you might like to know about Deeply Ingrained. My guest today is Dave Hawes, who is the founder and creator of an organization that helps students get hands-on with woodworking. And through that process, students learn time management. They learn tactile skills. They learn valuable tradecraft that they can then take and apply to other areas of their life or maybe even start their own career. Dave started Deeply Ingrained during the pandemic as he saw his kids and other kids just hanging out on technology all day and not really having the same level of connection that they had at school. And from there, demand turned it into an organization. It's a really cool story. It's a really cool story. And we're going to tell you about it right now. We run on the value for value model here on the Chris Spangle show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills, you're also going to get ad-free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed of all the past episodes and there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like i am about to do right now thank you so much to our 100 a month members especially vincent Pykel, matthew durbin jason doolittle christy avery and our good friend reinhold thank you so much for supporting us and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today dave hawes thanks so much for joining me here on the show Thanks for having me, Chris. Let's start with the origins of Deeply Ingrained. How did you get started with this organization? Sure. Deeply Ingrained was started on accident. Deeply Ingrained was started during COVID. And it was it was really just something that I started doing for the neighbor kids and, and the kids in the community. What I saw was we were all working from home. Kids were home. And with helping my youngest in his school, between my wife and I, helping him out, what I saw was just how much his teachers were struggling getting them hands-on activities, activities off the screen. They were very limited to what kids had at home and what everybody had at home. So when he wasn't doing his e-learning, he was on the computer, YouTube, video games, stuff like that. So I was just looking for something different for him to do a little bit and then just figured everybody else was in the same boat. Likewise, I was in the same boat. I was on the computer all day and looking to get off. So I went and started making some projects for the neighbor kids and gave them away. And it just exploded from there. Started with putting out some planter box project kits at the end of my driveway. And it's just, it's been a roller coaster since then. Um, That first... I miss the I miss the peacefulness of that like six months. Like there, if you didn't get online, everything was a lot more peaceful. But this like, is true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was peaceful, but it was also a little lonely, right? It yeah, was sure. uh, that lack of real human interaction. I was on video conferences all day, but it's not the same. Selfishly, what I got out of the whole thing early on was that. People were coming to the end of my driveway and, and picking up projects, and I was standing on the other end of the driveway, and I at least got to say hi to them and smile and wave and, and all that good stuff when it was nice out. So that was nice. It was fun to see pictures of kids doing things other than being on devices all day and, and just doing something different. 
So what went into the boxes that you put at the end of the driveway? Sure. So <laughs> they weren't even boxes in the beginning. In the beginning, they were. So I made a planter box was the first project and four sides and a bottom, but everything was cut in a way that could really only go together one way and stay together. But all it took was a little bit of glue. And so I made a little video, threw it up on Facebook, said, hey, here's how you put it together. If you want one, come get one. Took the stack of pieces, wrapped them in masking tape, set them on a table. I think we did 50 or 75 there that first week, thinking that this was just you know, a fun thing to do and, and we'll see what happens. Fast forward a few weeks from then, I had some neighbors that were volunteering and come Mother's Day of 2020, which I think would have been the fourth or fifth week we were putting out projects, we were up to doing 500 projects a week. Wow. So yeah, it got it got out of hand pretty quick. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> So, man, 500 projects a week is it, so you were preparing all the boxes ahead of time and, and getting yeah, it all we, ready. Were, we were we were doing all the all the cutting and machining um, and getting everything gathered together. And by then we were wrapping them in shrink wrap plastic that, that you use for moving stuff. Now we're a little more sophisticated. We've got a little better packaging, but that continued. And through that, we gained a lot of. Oh, new relationships, I guess I would say. Met a lot of people, got heard a lot of stories from different people that, that were in different walks of life and working with different kinds of kids. And, and that's when, when it started to click that there's something here, there's a gap here that we can fill. There's a need, especially with the underserved and the mentally and physically challenged youth in our community that, that aren't getting access to these kinds of things or just don't have the means to have access. Was, to was there a specific things. story or a specific point where you realized that? I think the first one that, that, that got to me was, I don't know, probably about midway through when I say midway through, I'm thinking April, the beginning of April to the end of May when school lets out that midway through that period, a neighbor who I didn't know from an adjoining neighborhood had left a note in our donation box saying, hey, I hope you don't mind. I took eight projects. The reason I took eight projects is because I'm director at this facility that serves these youth and these youth are high risk. So every day they come in and they all go into their own individual rooms. And mm. the only people they get to interact with are their caregivers. Now you've got these young kids that that don't even get to see their friends. And so that kind of hit me early on. I was like, okay, what more can we do to keep these kids occupied and, and having fun during the day. That was one of the early ones. There were some others with, with some senior care facilities having similar issues. And that's what really opened my eyes to start exploring what else is there? Where else is there a gap? And looking at this kind of programming is not in schools anymore for the most part. High schools, you've got some trade stuff in high schools, but you're not getting that exposure until till later on in, in life. And really just, I started looking for more people that could benefit from it. And I started connecting with community centers, shelters, uh, other organizations that were serving lower income youth and youth with, like I say, mental or physical disabilities. And just started exploring that option or that, that avenue and learning their stories of Hey, what are the gaps in your programming? What what do you have access to? What do you not have access to? And that's really when it all started to click to me of, yeah, this is something that while I started this thinking I was just going to do this till the end of the school year and go back to normal, go back to my day job. And 
at that point, it was more of, okay, if there's something here, I want to keep exploring it and ex- supporting it on some level. So how did it become an official organization and turn into deeply ingrained? <laughs> yeah, so we went through those first eight or nine weeks there in early 2020 with COVID. And like I said, originally, I wasn't asking for anything. Actually, I didn't ever really officially start asking for anything. People just started donating. And so at the time it was, okay, people are going to hand me cash. I'm not putting this in my pocket. I don't need it. It's going to go into future projects. So, okay, I got cash donated this week. So that's going to go and that's what's going to help me create next week's project. And when we got to that point, eight or nine weeks in, and I had a couple friends that were volunteering and we started talking about, I was like, let's we really want to explore what else is out there, what else we can do with this. But I'm really uncomfortable with all this being in my name because I don't want anybody thinking that I'm running a scam here or anything like that. <laughs> so that's really what kind of pushed it down the path of the old know, woodworking scam. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's what, what we'll put it back there. Is, uh, let's at least legitimize it, get a real bank account. And so that's when we went down the path of if we're going to do this. Let's do it as a 501c3 even if it's just a little hobby business. And so that's when we started down that path was the summer of 2020. Officially, we were incorporated and got our 501c3 status, I think, end of November of 2020. Nice. Okay, so I think all this begs the question is, how did you get into woodworking? Was it like a childhood hobby that... Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, or what? This goes back to... This goes back as far as I can remember. It's just been something that... My dad always worked with his hands. His dad worked with his hands and there were always tools around the house. And I, as a kid, I preferred to take toys apart versus playing with them. So I was always, I was always grabbing a hammer doing something. So that's, it started when I was young. I liked working with my hands. Um, been a hobby off and on my whole life. So that's why it was a, a, an easy avenue for me when it came time of, hey, what can I do to put something fun and and make smiles out in the community it was i got this shop i got this wood let's let's go make some stuff very cool so you start a nonprofit, and what was your first program usually with a nonprofit, there's the organization then begets programs right so what was the first initiative yeah so the first initiative was the free projects we still do they are not weekly anymore there's no way i could keep up with that but they are We still do them monthly. We do some free projects and most of them go to partner organizations. So we've got about 38 different organizations around town we partner with in some way or another. And so we're still doing between 500 and 1,000 projects a month. We've done, since the start, we've done over 26,000 projects all given away for free. Most of them are going to you know, low-income schools, other nonprofits that are serving underserved youth or underserved, actually, senior citizens as well. So that was our original program and, and still continues to be something. It's It changes a little bit over time, and it's probably going to change again in the future. Um, and towards the end of 2020, what happened that really drove a lot more Oh, what's the right word? Need for support and need for manpower was that started getting at because we were doing these free projects, started getting asked by Girl Scouts and other youth serving groups of, hey, will you come to our meeting and teach us how to make something? Sure. Sounds fun. So that was that started late 2020 into 2021. 
very quickly I realized that loading a bunch of stuff up in the back of a truck and going somewhere and unloading it and trying to work on card tables was, was a difficult way to go about it. So that spawned the idea for our Woodshop on Wheels program. So in later in 2021, we were gifted a 24-foot enclosed trailer and we built a woodshop out inside of it. And that woodshop can now be seen all over town. We drag it all over town. We go to community centers, we go to schools, you name it, we go there. We can work inside, we can work outside. We've got mobile work benches. And so now we've got... Uh, Gosh, I couldn't tell you how many workshops we run a year, but in the summer months, we're doing two or three a day. This time of year, we're doing two to five a week after school. So how do you fund it? Is it you bring the woodshop on wheels to an organization, they pay a fee, or is it all donations? How do you... Yeah. All the above, right? All right, okay. Um, there's, there are some organizations we work with that have budget for programming, and there are some organizations we work with that don't have budget for programming, but... I don't ever want budget to be a reason that kids don't get access to quality programming. So we do, we work with a lot of, uh, a lot of foundations for grants. We work with uh, a lot of corporations for grants and funding. We're always on the lookout for more individual donors. Fundraising is a full-time job in and of itself. We try to fund as much of it as we possibly can, but occasionally there's between fuel and wood, two things that haven't gone back down since COVID started. It's it's not the cheapest program, but we try to make it as affordable as possible. Uh, how do you prepare? So, so maybe the first question is, what does the kit look like that a kid, I assume these are all kids that engage with these product projects. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like? And then who is making all the pre-prepared stuff? Is that just you or do you have a workshop of Santa's elves that fly down and help? Like how did, so, that sounds like a tremendous no, amount of work getting just the setup. It is. And so that's a really good question because that drives into a new program that we're working on trying to start. I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. But to answer your first question, what's a kit look like? So for the monthly projects, a kit is... Um, everything's pre-cut. Everything is ready to be glued up. Usually sometimes we'll incorporate screws or nails, but we, I like to incorporate that. I like to teach different things, but I also try to keep in mind that sometimes these are going to a classroom and a classroom doesn't necessarily have hammers laying around. Sometimes they're going to a house that maybe doesn't have those Only the fun classrooms. And I've been known to loan out a bucket full of hammers to classroom teachers before too, but, and safety glasses, of course. So Usually, most of our projects we try to make in a way that that they can be put together with things that most people have at home. I know a hammer is not always the thing. Most people have a hammer around the house, but a lot of times it's glue. And we still do we do a video with every project, an instructional video, and shows how to put it together. Shows different ways that maybe you could put it together. Shows different ways that if it's glued together, but it's not. For instance, we did. Did a pencil box in September, but it wasn't something that would hold itself together while you glued it. We talk about different ways to hold it together with rubber bands or masking tape, things most people can find around the house versus when you're at a wood shop and you've got access to a bunch of clamps and things like that. So normally that's what's in a kit is all the pieces, little card with our info on it and a QR code to, to the video um, instructions. And it's all sealed up in a nice little plastic bag. With our wood shop on wheels, it's a little different 
And it really depends on who we're working with, the age group, have we worked with them before, um, you know, that really getting into what's their skill level. Young kids, we've never worked before. It may look similar to one of our projects. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be something more substantial. Now we can definitely use hammers because we've got plenty of those, but things will be pre-cut. And so maybe we show up and, and all they've got to do is drill a couple holes, put some glue on it, nail it together, and then they get to paint. Other times when we work with a group of kids and we work with the same group of kids or older kids, we'll start challenging them a little more and start adding to the complexity. And maybe now they've got some pieces pre-cut, but now they've got to figure out how to measure and mark and, and cut a piece by hand with a handsaw. Or we take them into the trailer and teach them how to use the power miter saw. Or maybe they've got to they've got to drill some more holes, things like that. So we try to progress them when we can. When we only get to work with a group once or twice, it's we're a little more limited. But it is definitely much more hands-on than our than our monthly projects. But again, it's now we're talking about all the prep work that's involved. Whether it's the monthly projects, whether it's the the woodshop on wheels projects, there is a lot of pre-work that has to happen, and that pre-work is mostly myself. James, he started with us earlier this year, and occasionally we've got a, a teenager or two that'll help us out. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of work. We are actually, what we're trying to mold that into as we get into a bigger space here at the end of this year and start looking towards next year, we're trying to turn that into more of a structured training program, hands-on training program. We wanna to continue to work with the youth we work with and a lot of those youth we work with, especially the teenagers in the underserved population we work with, tend to be in less traditional school programs, whether it's a whether it's a, a program through the juvenile justice system or whether it's just an alternative school or they're working on their own on a high school equivalency. These kids don't have access to some of the trades programs and things like that in school. So what we're building up is a program where we can bring these kids in when they're not in school and start teaching them how to do this manufacturing side of things with us. Um, but also while we're doing that, work on employment skills, the soft skills of how to show up on time, how to, all that kind of stuff that some of us take for granted and were brought up in a structured school environment and got that or had the opportunity for a first job where somebody was willing to work with us. We want to be that the, that mentor to work with them. But then also, as we're giving them the exposure to, to doing these different things and building these different projects, and even some of our partners uh, have special requests for, we've got a conference table we're building now. We've got some bookends we're doing for a library. And while we've got some of those things, it's just more opportunity to show these kids to give them more exposure to these things, um, including, hey, how do we work with the customers? How do we identify the project needs? And then on the other end of it, I've been spending a lot of time this year trying to build up partnerships with folks in the industry around here, uh, whether it's construction, whether it's manufacturing, whether they're actual employers or they're running a apprentice program or, or a school for post-secondary so that we can start introducing those kids to those programs, uh, take a monthly field trip and go visit these places and go visit these job sites. And then when they're done with us and when they've got that high school degree or that high school equivalency, be able to give them those connections and, and get them into that more career focused role that whether it is going to an apprentice program that's going to, that they're going to be working in that 
industry and with that company or with that union for the next 30 years or, or whether it's to a manufacturer that's going to train them on the job. But we want to be able to make those connections and, and give them that leg up because that's what we want to do. And there's no way sure. these kids aren't getting that opportunity because they don't have those programs in their schools. So how can people get involved? I think that's the the final question here is you know, a little bit of shameless self-promotion. And how right. can people get involved from volunteering to financial support to if you run an organization or a business, where can we connect? Absolutely. Deeplyingrained.org or woodshoponwheels.org. It's a little easier to remember, but they both go to the same place. There are contact forms on there and all that information right now comes to me and I do follow up. Sometimes it takes me a couple of days, but I do follow up on all of it. But that's definitely the place to start. And then we can go from there, it's, whether it's volunteering or wanting to know how to support us or wanting to figure out how we can work together on, on something or how we can provide their youth programming. That's the best place to start. All right, Dave Hawes, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us here on We Thought You Might Like to Know. <laughs>